All right. Well, I am uh, down to 40 minutes left, so let me go ahead and get started. Uh, but before I get started, I'd like to pray. I'll need you guys to help me out because I, I don't have a... This microphone's for recording, not for expounding noise. So uh, just be prepared for that. I'll just need you guys to help me out. Let me pray, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for another morning where we get to be at camp. And even just the beauty of the sunrise reminds us of your goodness. And as we look at your word, and especially what has to say about purity and the issue of sexual sin, we're also grateful that you are not a God who's a cosmic killjoy. You are not out to snuff out our fun, but you want what is best for us. And you want us to actually pursue real joy. So help us, Lord, help me in this time uh, just to, to just briefly look at what your word has to say about this issue. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I understand that this is an important issue and that this is a, a big issue. Obviously, that's why we still got people trying to file in unless, of course, the other rooms were, were filled up too. Um, but this is a, an issue. Let me allow you to read some verses. Before we get started, I want to to think about just who we are as Christians. Look at, guys, I'll need your help, sorry. First Peter 1, I'll take a look at verse 18. It's a little bit of our testimony. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with, with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. I mean, we as Christians have been bought by Christ. That's the amazing thing. And that's what Peter wants to remind this church that's in the midst of suffering, that you've been bought by Christ. You've been, you belong to him because of the cross. And therefore, Peter's trying to remind them who they are positionally. And he has some commands in light of this. Look at verse 13. He tells them, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You see, for those of us that have been bought by Christ, our sin has been paid for. But the expectation that God has is not just now that we've been positionally made holy, positionally made sinless, but that our lives would also be holy. Uh, that's why in the beginning of chapter two, he talks that you are a, a living stones built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. We together walking in holiness represent Christ. Look at verse nine of chapter two. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain. You're aliens, you're strangers, you don't belong here. So abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And this is the, the call for holiness. This is the call to live a life because you've been bought live a life that's holy, and because there's a lost world, live a life that is holy. 
And yet, as you know, and the reason why we picked this topic is that we as believers don't. And one of the main sin issues today in our culture is the issue of purity. We're talking about sexual sin. We're talking about immorality that plagues our society. You know, I once heard a story uh, about how people who live in, uh, you know, like the Alaska uh, region that hunt polar bears, the Inuit tribes, I-, I learned how they hunt polar bears. And sometimes what they do, they get a whole gang and they'll try to take on a polar bear. Have you guys ever seen a polar bear? It's a massive, powerful animal. You want to take that on, you know, you tick it off, it could kill you. And one of the techniques that they do is, let's say they're, they're a hunting seal. What they'll do is they'll actually take the blood from a seal dip a spear into it and almost make like a blood popsicle. And they'll set this up out in the wild where the polar bears would be and they'll leave. And what will happen is the polar bear, because likes blood, will start licking the popsicle. And he keeps licking the popsicle. What he doesn't realize is his tongue is getting numb because it's frozen. So numb that when he starts to lick the blade of the spear, He doesn't recognize that it's his own blood that he's tasting, not just the blood of the seal. And slowly but surely, he, with satisfaction, dies. What a perfect illustration of sexual sin. How satisfying and attractive and great it seems as it kills your soul, as it warps you from the inside. It's a dangerous dangerous sin. And yet we all know that our culture loves this sin. You're, you know, I'm not that much older than you, but our culture rapidly, more and more so is is just more sexualized than it's ever been in our history. Even from the time I was in high school, it's just changed so much. Every single movie, you know, maybe outside of Disney movies, every single movie's got some sort of joke, some sort of innuendo. The outfits are meant to flaunt sexuality in some way. Social media becomes a means for men or women to, to show off their body. Uh, you know, every single, most songs that you listen to, the, if you go to the top 10 songs uh, in our nation, you'll just see like a lot of them have just innuendos because our country loves and worships this sin. We've seen that it's grown incredibly, uh, incredibly more accessible. It's available to you. You know, I wasn't around in this time, but back in the day, If you wanted to buy pornography, you used to have to go to a small little shack off the side of the road. The windows would be blacked out and there was a big red XXX on it. It was a shameful thing. You'd kind of sneak there. Maybe you don't want to take your own car. Now you can get it anywhere. Do you realize that one of the most popular pornographic magazines used to be a magazine called Playboy Magazine? And they just recently this year announced that they no longer will have nude pictures in their magazines. And you're going, oh, well, that's a good thing. A win for culture, right? The reason is because they're going, well, no one's buying it anymore because why would you pay for what you can get for free online? So they're trying something different. It's actually a sad thing in our culture. And I would even say it's not just out in the media. It's not just that we see on TV. But even the youth, I feel super, super sad and scared for you guys. Because more and more through the through society, through your friends, it's just being pushed to you that this is normal, this is something to pursue, You're much, much more you people being aggressively pursuing the physical relationships, anything of that degree, just become more casual, more flippant. And yet God calls us to holiness. He calls us to purity. So what will we do? What are we supposed to do? You, you could stay in First Peter 
Um, we're only going to look at a couple verses. I want to look at 1 Thessalonians 4. Just go at a few chapters, or a few books to the left. 1 Thessalonians 4, if you go to Colossians, you've gone too far. Starting in verse 3. It says, For this is the will of God. That's a good sentence, right? I mean, don't we, we want to know what God's will is? What does God want from us? This is the will of God. Your sanctification. That is, you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification in honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter. Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. The biggest lie that we are told is that it is your body. And we see that sin... Uh, we, we see that in the sin of abortion. Well, it's my body. I do with it what I want. But we also just see that well, it's my body so I can use it however I want, whatever pleasure I want. Students, your body is not yours. It's God's. He gave it to you. And it says there, he is the avenger of wrong. He will judge how you use the body that he gave you. God's will is that we would not, we would not walk in sexual sin. And yet, I know there's a lot of different things happening in this room. I know some of you, maybe for a few of you, this is a temptation not really on your radar. I know for most of you, probably 99, 95% of you, it is. Maybe, maybe you came in here feeling guilty, feeling dominated, tempted, confused. You're like, I don't even know how to deal with this because it's so ingrained in what my friends believe. Here's what I want to look at. I don't want to just spend the, I don't want to look at just one passage. I want to help you out. I want to talk about some principles uh, of how we fight sexual sin. And then I want to talk about some practices. Let me give you just some principles about how you should be thinking about sexual sin. And then we'll give you some practices later on how to fight these. So two things, I'm going to give you a bunch of verses. You can write them down um, in your notes. You can look them up later there and I'll read them for you, uh, but we'll look at this. But let's look at some principle, principles and practices. And my hope is a handful of things. I hope for those of you that are maybe being flippant or passive with this, that you'd be convicted, recognize you need to take this more seriously. My hope for those of you who are genuinely struggling. And look, I get this. I know some of you are genuinely struggling and torn up about this issue. I hope that this would be as encouraging as it is convicting. And you actually leave here with some help and with some uh, direction as how to beat this sin because you can beat this sin. So let's take a look at God's word. Principles. I have five principles I want you to own. Five principles of sexual sin. The first principle is this. All sexual sin is evil. All sexual sin is evil. In Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians, uh, Paul is writing to let them know how they ought to live in light of all that Christ has done for them. And in verse 3, he writes this, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. It, other translations say there, there should not even be a hint of impurity among you. That all of it is evil. To the smallest degree, it's, it's all wicked. Not an ounce of it is tolerated by God. Now, why do I bring this up? 
Because often the question that I'll get as a, as a high school pastor is, well, Josh, how far is too far? You know, okay, I know I can't, I know we can't go all the way. That's, that's sin until marriage. But how far is too far? Is hooking up okay? You know, we, sometimes I'll term friends with benefits. Is that okay? You know, is it okay if, you know, we you know, side hug okay? Is side hug too far? What do we do with this? The question is, how far is too far? Well, any, sec, any, any uh, sexual sin to God is evil. Any sexual sin is too far. What does that mean? Well, that's a couple things. One, that would include anything physical. And that doesn't just mean going all the way. Any sort of what I would call sexual activity, either to uh, arouse, to maybe try to go all the way, anything like that outside the context of marriage is, is sin. And when I say outside the context of marriage, I don't mean while you're married in your hearts, you really love each other. I mean, no, like guys, you got a job, you bought a ring and you married her, then it's okay. Outside of the context of that, anything is forbidden. That also includes, by the way, anything that gets your mind stirred up. We'll look at this later, but remember in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you've heard it said, whoever commits adultery, um, that you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you lust after a woman in your heart, so that would even mean, guys, if you can't hold her hand without, you know, in your mind, your motor running, that's forbidden for you. Ladies, maybe it's not so much the physical, but if emotionally you're giving yourself away because he hugs you and says goodbye before class, that's not what God would want. Any sort of sexual sin that, that where the emotions are leading that way where there's lust in the heart, either emotional, I want to be near him, or the physical, I just want to hold her, uh, anything like that is forbidden. Second principle, I'll move quicker. Second principle we need to own with this is that all believers sin. All believers sin. Now, all sexual sin is forbidden. God hates it. He does not tolerate it. But here's what you got to understand. Believers struggle. You know, I remember having a student uh, in a small group um, come up and say, you know, hey, I've I got a really difficult profession to make. And I know you're going to think I'm super weird. And I know you're going to think I'm like the only one but I'm looking at stuff that I shouldn't look at on the computer. And I'm just, I'm probably like the first student who's ever said this to you. I'm like, dude, no, this is not a unique struggle. It's not a tolerated struggle, but this is not something that is unique. Believers struggle with sin. And if you're a Christian, this might be an issue you're battling with. You know, the the presence of the sin doesn't make you not a Christian. The, the question we'll look at later is, are you actually in the fight? Because believers indulge, Christians are battling. But believers are struggling. One of my favorite verses is 1 John 1, 9. You know this verse uh, where it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. You realize that that's not a gospel salvation verse. That's a sanctification verse. Remember, John is trying to write to people to prove they're believers. Believers own their sin. If we confess our sin, that's for believers who struggle with sin. But believers confess it. They confess that it's wrong. They know it's evil. Lord, I'm sorry I've sinned against you. And relationally, God restores that relationship. But keep in mind that this might be a struggle for you. And if this is you, you are not the first one to struggle this. You will not be the last. Know that, it, that the question we'll look at is, are you in the fight? Second principle we need to own 
Second principle you need to own is the problem is not the culture. The problem is not the culture. So often we look, it's like, man, well, things would be so much better if I didn't have Instagram. It'd be so much easier if I didn't go to a public school. If only I went to a Christian school, things would be so much better. How many, like, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of you go to Christian schools. I mean, Christian schools are almost worse sometimes than the public schools, right? Because public school, it's like, well, they're sinners, so that's bad that they said that joke. Christian schools sometimes would be like, well, we all said this inappropriate joke, but we could laugh about it because we love grace. And, uh, <laughs> and therefore, it's okay. You know what I mean? But the problem is not the culture. The problem is your heart. The problem is you. The problem is not, well, let's blame whoever invented the internet. Let's blame whoever's letting these sites exist. The problem is your heart lingers. The problem is if you do it, it's a conscious decision to look. The problem is not, well, if only, you know, guys at school didn't dress that way. If only they, they weren't so persistent. If only a guy, I could get a boyfriend that wasn't, you know, such a pervert, then things would be okay. The problem is not others. The problem is you. It's your heart and it's a conscious decision on your part to say, I'm going to choose this sin over God. James 1.13 says through 15, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, by his own passions. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Principle number three. Sex is not evil. Sex is not evil. You see, there is a sense where this sin has totally dominated. For so many people, sex is God. For them, that is their God. So that's what they think about. That's what they crave about. That's what they make their decisions. That's how they buy their clothes. It just making an appeal. Let's funnel everything through that. And it's their God. And what happens sometimes is in our attempt to be obedient and not rebel in that area, we've just come to the assumption that, well, the whole thing, the idea of sex is evil and it is gross. Is the other idea. Some will say it's God. Others will say, well, it's gross and it's wicked and it's a thing. Guys, do you realize who invented sex? Teenagers did not invent it, right? <laughs> I remember in middle school, all these seventh graders are talking about like they're the experts on this thing. You know who invented it? God did. In Genesis chapter one, he invented it as a good thing to exist within the context of marriage. It's not an evil device. You know, it's just like fire. Like fire is a good thing in the fireplace. Not a good thing in the woods at camp. We'd be packing up and going home early, right? Same thing, in and of itself, it's not something that's wicked. It's a good gift that God created for the right time. And that right time is clearly defined in scripture. It's when you're married. Principle number four. Principle number four. Did I just give you principle number four? What am I on? Did I say one, did I say one two, three, three, three? Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm still recovering from my blood being cut off from that shirt, so it's, it's fine, it's fine. Number five, here's the last one. Obedience is not the only aim in this area. 
It's not enough just to say, well, I'm going to abstain from the physical act. I'm going to abstain from any sort of physical impurity. It's not, it's not just outward, or you can actually word it, outward obedience is not the only thing. God wants the heart. He wants you to have a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, it says in Matthew chapter 5, about verse 7 or 8. And that's what he wants us. He wants us to obey him from the heart. So those are just some principles that we want to look at. Uh, before we go any further, let me, let me recommend two books for you. I meant to bring them. I left them in my room. You could look these up later. Later when I talk about getting discipled, these are two good books that if you've got a discipleship leader, you've got your small group leader, maybe to go through. One of the books that I think is really good on this topic is a book called Sex is Not the Problem, Lust Is by Joshua Harris. It's an excellent book to read through on this topic. And, and I, again, would recommend meeting with somebody at a coffee shop once a week and talking about it. Not just read it on your own, it's really good, um, but it's also another one to, um, it's good just to talk through someone. The other one is a book called Finally Free. Uh, could somebody help me out with this? It's Owen something, or something Owen, or, or am I, Heath Lambert, uh, no, I'm thinking of everybody. What is it? Heath Lambert, Finally Free, an excellent book on this as well, on this topic. So that one's especially the issue of pornography. Great book to look through uh, to help out with this. So. Let's take a look at this. We looked at principles. I want to talk about strategies. I want to talk about strategies. How do you avoid uh, having sex before marriage? How do you avoid the the troubles of the computer? You know, how do you avoid a, a teen pregnancy? How do you avoid these things? You know, we could just say abstain, and that'd be the easiest one. Uh, but I want to talk about some biblical strategies for how to fight this sin. And I've got four, four strategies with some verses. I'd love to just help out with this and uh, move on. Number one, strategy number one, feed the mind. Feed the mind. If you want to fight sin, you need to feed the mind. You need to feed the mind the right stuff. If you have your Bible, um, or you can head back to 1 Peter. I read a verse earlier. I think it's worth our time. says, therefore, verse 13 of chapter one, it says, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. Think about that. In that verse right there, when Peter's about to talk about how you live, he doesn't say, all right, now here's how many times you need to go to church. And here's how many chapters of your Bible you need to read today. He starts with feeding your mind, getting your thinking lined up for the day. The other word for the mind might be the heart, not so much the emotions, but the will. You know, fixing your will, getting your thinking straight. One of the things that you've got to realize is so often your thinking is going to affect your decision making. It acts as a, a trajectory. You guys remember... Uh, the, the other day, we had the bow and arrow out there, um, and, and I shot it up into the sky. Now, there's no way if I had aimed it down, it would have shot straight up into the air. That, that's, that defies the law of physics, right? Because trajectory-wise, I've got it aimed up. Well, your mind is really lines up your trajectory for the day. You know, where you're thinking, how your mind, where it is set, 
will affect how you live. The mind, in a sense, is, a, is an item like this phone. I could set it on, on something. I could put it somewhere. I could prepare the mind. There's a reason why you don't like pop quizzes, right? Because you haven't had time to think about it. You've been asleep in class. You've been staring at the clock. You're like, four more minutes, and I'm out of here. And your teacher goes, all right, pop quiz. And you're like, what? Because you mentally haven't been prepared. Well, for fighting sin, for obedience, feeding the mind is so vital. And what you need to feed the mind, and you know this, is scripture. You need to fill the mind with the word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says all scripture is inspired by God. Now, a lot of you would agree with that statement, right? And, and if you're one of my students, you've heard me say this before, that it's really great that the scripture is inspired by God. You know that this book, every word of it is from God. But knowing that the Bible's inerrant isn't enough because it's inerrant and it has purpose. The Bible's completely true and it's useful. It says, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The word is the mean by which we are trained, we are sharpened, we are disciplined for the purpose of obedience. It's filling our mind with the scripture, filling our mind with the truth that we're able to walk in obedience. Many of you know that verse, Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? How? By keeping it according to your word. Your word I've hidden in my heart so that I may not sin against you. I've not just, I've taken it into my mind. I've meditating on it. I don't just know it, but I'm thinking on truth. Colossians 1, 9 and 10 is one of my favorite uh, verses on this. In fact, you could even take a look there if you want. Paul's writing to the Colossians and he tells them, we have prayed that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Verse 9, Paul says, I want you to know God's will, which you and I know, by the way, from the word. We know what God wants. But then he has a reason, verse 10 of chapter 1. He says, I want you to, I'm praying that you know the will of God so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects. So you guys see this. There's this sense of, as I'm filled with the knowledge of God's will, the result is that I would walk in a manner that pleases God. The opposite then would be true as well. If I'm not filled with knowledge of his will, then I will have a hard time pleasing him. In 1 Peter 2 says, long for the spiritual milk of the word so that by it you may grow. There's a relationship between knowing your word, thinking on truth, and obedience. Even itself, um, I, I, need, I need, a, need some volunteers right here that'll help me out. Can I, can, yeah, can you go to Romans? Romans 8, 13, that'll help me. And I need one other, I need a girl to help me out. Yeah, can you go to Ephesians uh, 6, verse 17? Let me talk about this. Here's a, here's a thing that you got to understand about sin. Sin has an active power. Do you realize that Hebrews 2 talks about the deceptiveness of sin? That sin is deceptive, right? Like, like how often does sin present itself as like, hey, you're going to be miserable if you do this, but I mean, come on, it'll be great, right? No, sin is deceptive. So you need the word to remind yourself of truth, to realign your thinking, to remember what is true. And so memorize verses like 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. 
This is the will of God. Abstain from sexual morality. Memorize verses like 1 Corinthians 6.20. You know, when I see that sin, I remember I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God with my body. Remember words like Matthew 5, 27, 28. It's not just the outward adultery, but it's this adultery in the heart as well that is a sin. Think on that truth. It's good that we know these verses and think on them. One other thought why the word helps us out. This is my longest one, by the way. So uh, you had Romans, right? Yes. Okay, so read Roman, that verse, Romans 8, 17. I'll stop you at one point. 17, right? What did I say? Yeah, 17. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I, th- I think so. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. 13. My bad. Mima, lo siento. 13. Go for it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, stop right there. So it says, by the Spirit, so as believers, by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. So I like that. Spirit. Putting to death. Who's my feet? Where's my Ephesians girl? Right here. Go ahead. Read it. Um, six seventeen. Yep. Uh, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is the same spirit by which I put to death the deeds of the flesh. You guys see that? The spirit works through the word. The spirit of God, which helps change you, activates through the word of God. So that's why you also need to be filled with the word. You need, to be, you need to be thinking on the word, meditating on the word, filling yourself with the word. You know, if you spend all day looking at Instagram and all day watching movies and all day filling your mind with music, that in and of itself is not evil, but it's just garbage in, no wonder it's garbage out, right? What are you filling your mind with? Just a couple applications of that. Are you reading the word? Are you reading the word regularly? Psalm 5.3, the psalmist says, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice, and in the morning uh, I will order my prayer to you. Can I ask you this? Let's talk about Monday, July 11th. The first day, you know, you're going to be back from camp on Saturday. If you're from New Mexico, you'll be back on Friday. Let's talk about Monday, July 11th. What time that day are you reading your Bible? If you can't answer that question already, most of the time, that means you're probably not going to be reading it. If there's not a plan for being in the Word regularly, most of the time it means it won't happen. Desiring God did a study about this time last year. 75 to 85% of people check this in the morning before they go to this. This is not evil, but this will protect you. That makes sense? Have a plan. Feed the mind. Just another thing that's really helpful. John Piper talks about these. He talks the, about fighter verses. Fighter verses. So if there's specific areas, specific verses to memorize. 1 Corinthians 6 is such a good one. 6.20. You know, remembering on purity. Finding verses that help you say, Lord, your will is that I abstain from sexual sin. Help me now to honor you and not this, but feeding the mind. Because remember, sin is trying to deceive you. There's a lot we could talk about this, but I want to get through these four points where we run out of time. So feed the mind is strategy number one. Fill it with the word. Number two, starve the flesh. So you feed the mind and you starve the flesh. You cut off the flesh's source of feeding yourself. Listen, you got to understand this. In order to fight sin, there is an active pursuit of putting sin to death. 
Uh, it's not just recognizing, yes, that sin is wrong, I should not do it, but you actively are trying to weed out sinful habits. By the way, all of this applies not just to sexual sin. I mean, this applies to lying. This applies to selfishness. Specifically, I want to talk about this issue. But in order to fight sin, you actually need to fight. Starve the flesh. Cut off the source. 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says to um, Timothy, you don't have anything to do with worldly fables. And he says, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline. It takes effort. You labor. You have to actually to, to put some sweat into this to try to get it to, to be put to death. And if you're one of our GC Sears, this past Sunday night, we just talked about Philippians 2, 12, and 13. That's direct application. You actually put it to death. If, if you want to look that up, that's a, a hopefully a helpful sermon where you can just hear about putting sin to death, but it will require effort. And by the way, it will be painful. You know, Matthew 5, 29 and 30 says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, what? Cut it off. Cut it off. And if your eye causes you to stumble, you, you pluck it out. So you take measures in order to fight sin. Job made a covenant with his eyes. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze at a virgin? Uh, at a virgin? I will not look. I will guard my eyes. You know, I, my mind can't meditate on what it does not see, and so I will guard my eyes as well. What does it mean to starve the flesh? Just a few applications. In, in doing this, putting sin to death, actively putting off and putting on good things. Well, it might mean that you need to limit some stuff. It might mean that you need to limit some stuff. Some of you have apps that, you know what, I probably don't need to spend more than five minutes a day on this. Or I got the internet and I don't need to be on this as much, or... Uh, you know, I, the computer, I don't really need to hang out with this group. Whenever I'm with them, it's just not a good thing. But there's times you might need to put limits on what you have going on in your life. There's also times where limits are not enough. And there's things you need to cut out completely. <coughs> Guys, if the struggle is still there, then why is the computer still in your room? Get rid of it, for it is better to not have a computer in your room, to throw your computer out of your room than for the whole body to be cussed into hell, right? Cut out stuff. If there's relationships that need to be cut out, if there's movies you can't watch, then don't do it. Who cares? You're going to say, man, but if I don't have Twitter on my phone, and if I'm not following that group, then I won't be in the loop with what's going on with my friends. You know what would happen if you found out, um, like if you stopped having Twitter for like a month? You know what you find out you missed? Absolutely nothing. Except for a bunch of random 16-year-olds subtweeting how mad they are at the Taco Bell guy. I don't, I don't understand that. It's like, what is this? Like, so bored right now. Like, oh, obviously. Anyway, <laughs> pick up a book. Uh, but be ready to cut stuff out. It is better to, to lose those things than to lose your soul to this sin. Not only that, but help yourself to starve your flesh by knowing your weaknesses. Knowing your weaknesses. You know, if there's certain groups, then that's it. If there's certain times of day that you can't be home alone, then don't do it. If the computer needs to be off after 10, then limit yourself. If it's fifth passing period that so-and-so is going to walk by, then maybe you take a different route between fifth and sixth period. 
Whatever needs to be done. If there's a certain place you're like, I know that this person right here, they're in my mind, I just struggle. Then guard your eyes, but prepare and know your weaknesses. Not to be legalistic, guys. We're trying to honor Christ. We want to honor him in this. And at the same time, know, know the, that what messes you up. Know the trajectory that messes you up. For some of you, it's, some of you, I, I remember talking with a student one time. Sometimes it's just oversleeping. Like, man, on days that I oversleep, I'm lazy, and then I'm casual, and then I overeat, and I'm in this pattern of whatever sounds good in the moment, I just do. And then when lust enters the mind, well, I've already been doing whatever I feel like doing for the day. What's one more? You know what I mean? Know your weaknesses. The next time you stumble, you know, beg for forgiveness, you know, get accountability, but think about your day. That sin, nobody falls into having sex before marriage in five minutes. I'm not worried that it's about to happen five minutes from now, right? When it happens, there's a progression, okay? And even when there's just mental stumbling, there is a progression. Where did it start? Trace it back to the root and starve the flesh. Fight with all your might against this sin. Number three, what is our third practice? We, we, we feed the mind, we starve the flesh. Number three, include others. Include others. You need other people to be involved in this. Joshua Harris in that book, Sex is Not the Problem, Lust is, has one chapter and it's called Lone Rangers Are Dead Rangers. Nobody goes to war by themselves. That's a dumb idea. There's a reason why yesterday if you played Braveheart and you were the last one against five, you lost because you are outnumbered. You need others in this battle. You know, Galatians chapter six, just so you know, by the way, one measure of maturity in Christianity is how you respond to the, the sins of others. Right? That, that's a measure of maturity because we as believers, when someone comes to us with sin, we don't fly off the handle and go, well, what's wrong with you, sicko? Because if, if they're a Christian, we want to help them if they're broken over their sin. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. The idea as believers is we help each other out. We get accountability. We find other believers that are more mature to give wisdom to provide verses, to hold us accountable, to give us text messages that when we know, hey, at this time of day, I'm really struggling. Hey man, I'll help you out. Let me text you here. Or you go to an older woman and say, I just can't get my thinking right when I'm around this group, around this guy. Well, you have someone that you can go to. And sometimes it's hard to speak truth to yourself, so you need someone else to fix your thinking for you. That's how the church is supposed to work. So why we're all together and not just like sitting at home watching church on YouTube and then hanging out by ourselves. Because we need people in our lives. Listen, this isn't in my notes, but I got to say this. You are at camp and you are at camp with a discipler that doesn't just want to hang out with you this week. They care for your soul and want to be with you for the long run. If this is an issue for you, I would find a time at camp maybe by yourself, maybe in a small group, whatever you feel comfortable with, but to say, I'm struggling with this, I need help. I'm struggling with this, I need help. You know what your small group leader will do? They're not gonna be mad. They're gonna go, oh, that, that's, what's wrong with you? They'll probably have two reactions. They'll be very, very sad, 
because they'll know exactly what you're going through and how dominating of a sin this is. And they'll be so thankful that you talk to them and so ready to help you through this. Have that conversation. If you're fighting this battle on your own, you're not gonna win. You need others in your life. Finally, last, feed the mind. Starve the flesh. You wanna cut off those tendencies. You wanna bring others into the fight. And last, enthrall the heart. Enthrall the heart. E-N-T-H-R-A-L-L, if you don't know how to spell. Enthrall. I hope that's right. That'd be bad. (laughs) What do I mean by enthrall the heart? I shared this with the staff yesterday. There's There's an amazing paper that was written in the 1800s by a guy named Thomas Chalmers. And that paper is called... The title will make sense to you, but let me explain. The paper is called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And here's what I, oh, by the way, if you're putting your notes, so I hear a lot of, right? You, this is the one you want to write down because this one I think is probably the most powerful step. The other ones will be a lot, but you need this one. In that paper, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, he writes that every single heart has something on the throne. Every single heart has something that it seems as most precious, most valuable, most satisfying, and that's the thing they pursue. And so for an instance, you know, because I, I was a young man, you're a young, you know, I'll talk to the young men. Right now, your pursuit might be sports. And at one point, you know, so everything you do might be about sports. There'll be other decisions you make, but that's the direction of your life. And at some point, as you get into college, it becomes about career. So I live for that. And now then I start living for fame and then money and then family and then all these things. And all along, the heart always has something as number one. It can always be replaced, but there's always something on the throne. Your heart is never left without a top priority, a top love. Here's the thing. In the moment that you want to pursue sexual sin, whether in the mind or physically, your heart is putting that sin on the throne. It's not enough sometimes just to say, well, let me take that sin off the throne, but I need to put something on there that's better. I need to see something as greater so they go, this is so much better. You're off, you're on. You need to be enthralling your heart and you need to do so with Christ. You need to, in times, to be praying, Lord, help me not to just to see you as right. Help me to see you as better. Help me to see obeying you and your glory and the eternity that waits before me so much better than three minutes of pleasure and seven hours of guilt. Help me to see you as better. And so meditate on what you're not supposed to do, but meditate on Christ. I mean, go to Colossians 1 and see him as the king who sustains all things, the king who created all things and yet allowed himself to die. Go to Philippians 2 where it says he existed with God before eternity and then yet took on flesh to die on the cross and yet now has been exalted. But read, think on Christ, think on who God is so that you see him as so much more enjoyable than that sin. It's hard to fall into that sin when in your heart you see Christ as better. Feed the mind, starve the flesh, include others, and encourage your heart to love Christ. Let's live holy lives that honor the God that made us holy.
Let me pray. Father, thank you for our time. We pray even though in this, this very brief session, thank you for the time that we had. I pray that this would be helpful. God, you are a powerful God. You can help us beat this sin. And we don't beat this sin without your help. And we're grateful that you forgive us and are willing to help grow us. Lord, I pray for these students. God, I don't know where they're at. I know that this is such a, a huge temptation in our culture. And you've got to live like an odd, odd bird in order to not pursue this sin. But God, we don't belong to this world. And our bodies don't belong to us. We belong to you. Help us to honor and please you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.